Do you get annoyed when when people refer to them as uh, windmills? <laughs> um, you know, I, I guess there probably was a time um, when I did, only because you know a windmill creates mechanical energy versus a wind turbine creates electrical energy. Um, but you just over the years, I think you become a little bit desensitized to it. Uh, maybe annoyed is not the right word. It's it's actually a little bit comical. Don't confuse wind turbines with windmills. The latter are popular in Dutch culture and work to convert wind to mechanical energy, usually from milling grain. Wind turbines convert wind into electricity to power homes and businesses with clean energy. Admittedly, both turbines and mills are cool, but one clearly has more of a future than the other when it comes to ushering in an era of enhanced sustainability. It's estimated that about 60,000 wind turbines have been constructed throughout the United States, and with an ongoing shift to clean energy solutions, more are certainly on the way. Some industry experts even estimate that renewable energy construction, specifically as it pertains to wind projects, is projected to increase by 30% every year in the near term. In this episode, we're talking all things wind energy and how Barton Mallow is helping to build a more sustainable future. Utilizing goats to clear vegetation on a steep hillside to save on manpower and ensure safety. We've done that. Watching a world-renowned architect crumble up a piece of paper and tell you that's how they want their building to be designed? We've been there, too. Ever envision a brick-laying robot or material lift unit assisting laborers with building? No, it's not something out of the Terminator. We've done that on our projects. Every project has a great story. With over 3,000 team members and nearly 100 years of experience in the construction industry, we at Barton Mallow have more than a few to tell that don't fit the usual industry coverage. I'm Eric Fish. And I'm Rob Riley. And we're both Barton Mallow team members and the hosts of this podcast. And we're going to be bringing you the untold stories from the job site. The weird, the wild, and the unconventional paths to success. It's construction, but it's said differently. Welcome back to Said Differently, a Barton Mallow podcast. In this episode, we're excited to be joined by fellow Barton Mallow team member, Courtney Murchison. Courtney, thanks for hanging out for a bit. Hey guys, happy to be here. Excited to talk about renewable energy projects. Barton Mallow entered the wind energy market in 2008 and have since established ourselves as a go-to builder in renewable energy. We've completed more than 20 wind projects, erected over 500 wind turbines, dedicated more than 1.75 million man hours to this construction, and we were one of the first Michigan contractors to join the One Gigawatt Club. For reference, one gigawatt of power is roughly equivalent to 110 million LED bulbs. To talk a bit more about our early beginnings in the market and how we got to where we are now, we're excited to bring in Barton Mallow Senior Project Manager and member of our wind energy team, Ryan Johnston. My name is Ryan Johnston. I'm a project manager. I've been here at the company going back to 2008 was the first year I I interned actually uh, on one of our first wind projects. So been here working uh, year to year in wind, been able to see a lot lot of neat things over the years as as this has evolved and really excited for where it's headed going going into the future here. What makes wind so much more exciting or so much um, different of a project compared to the other projects? I think what's really neat is just the large scale of the projects. When I say large, they cover so much ground and they're really logistics driven. You get to bring in a lot of our our different self-performed disciplines and involve them in the project. Um, You've got big equipment, you know, big materials. It's it's just, uh, 
you know, it's, it's a really fascinating thing to be a part of. So prior to wind, were you working in any uh, particular market? Um, I've, I've gotten to see some various things through the years. Um, when I first started out, I got assigned to rigging. So I got to, uh, work across you know, a multitude of projects, a lot of automotive. And then, you know, ultimately at the end of the summer started to get, get a little bit into wind at that time, wind was really new, new to us. And one of the things I was tasked with was, Hey, try to figure out what this wind thing is. So I, I literally started, uh, by, by getting on Google, getting on the internet and starting to, uh, understand the different turbines, the different models. Um, I remember making a, like a little bit of a book, you know, for each model that was out there and, and what OEMs were out there. And I remember calling around to them, just trying to get our hands on some installation manuals so we could start to understand what it meant to put one of these together. So what was it? 2008 that we had our first wind project? 2008 was our first wind project, and uh, that was with Heritage Sustainable Energy. You know, we got connected and, and got to talking, um, and we started with two turbines, two Furlander, two and a half megawatt turbines. And and looking back, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because you, know, you, you look at the foundations that we built back then for those turbines to what they are now. Um, and the cranes we used, uh, we used a, actually a Manitowoc 21,000 on, on those two turbines and we broke the whole thing down and moved it to the next site. You know, it's, it's a crane that, that we wouldn't be able to use nowadays, you know, in the fashion that we build farms, but it's, it's just, it, it's neat how, how we started and where we've come to. Talk a little bit about that developer. Cause I remember you and I talking about um, that. That was pretty unique, right? So this first farm of the first two turbines, which they called the pilot phase was, was really his first venture into it. Uh, so it was as new to him as it was to us. Uh, but we knew that, you know, it, it really fit us well because back when we had Oak Park self-perform and everybody was based out of there, you know, it, it was going to involve a, a little piece of, of everything we were doing. It had a civil component. It had a concrete component. It had a rigging component. You know, it was a good model and, and something, I think it was a good bite for us to, to first get involved in the industry. Looking back on that first project or those first three projects or four projects, and then to the last one that you've done, can you talk about just the major differences? Yeah, for sure. Um, after that fourth year was really when we, we started to, to try to break into the production style wind. So the bigger farms, um, obviously, as I stated earlier, those, those early on farms were pretty small in quantity of turbines. Um, as we went into our fifth year, that's when we got our first large farm, uh, which was 69 turbines with DTE. The difference is we had to change our mindset of, of how we built them, you know, from just bringing in a crew and, and building something from start to finish to now really breaking down um, the work into to more small manageable tasks that a crew would just repeat from site to site to site as you progress through the project. How was it working with DTE for the first giant wind farm that we did? I think it was a learning, learning experience for everybody. Um, it was DTE's first time uh, developing their own farm. For us, you know, it, it was a big project. It was spread over two counties, spread over three different cities. Um, I want to say our, our total area on that project was about 90 square miles. Um, so logistically, it was, uh, it was a big project to get around. So what does the one gigawatt milestone reached on the Meridian job site in mid-Michigan mean for Barton Mallow, DTE Energy, and sustainability in general? So for us as a company, it comes down to experience. So when you hit that gigawatt mark, what it does is it, it adds up the nameplate of each project that we've built through the years. What that helps 
us do is then advertise to our clients, our experience in the industry. What does it mean to you personally, since you were here in the beginning of starting on wind farms? It, it means that you've now become a, a large player in the market and, and to be a part of it and, and just see everything that we've learned along the way. And, and to achieve this is, uh, you know, it's pretty gratifying. It's, it's, it's cool to see us get to that point um, in the market. Well, this has been awesome, Ryan. Thanks again for your time. Thanks for coming in and chatting with us. Appreciate you guys having me. This has been great. Wind farms aren't your typical construction site. Rather than work taking place in a confined space on a block or street, the footprint of a wind farm can span hundreds of square miles, usually throughout rural farmland. And as you might expect, there are various challenges associated with this type of work across such a vast amount of land. For a little more insight into what it's like working on a wind project, let's bring in another member of our wind energy team, Martin Mallow's senior project manager, Curtis Brown. So let's just start by talking about what makes building a wind farm different from any other project. One of the biggest differences is just the size of the project itself in, in terms of the area that you're covering. You know, you think of a, a traditional building or a, a power plant um, that, that is being built. We call it like a postage stamp site because it it kind of resembles a postage stamp. It's usually squared off, has fencing around it, and you've got, you know, pretty good control of the area. And from any one spot in the project, you can usually see everything that's going on versus a wind farm that um, generally in Michigan will cover anywhere from maybe 30 to 50 square miles, depending on the side of it, size of it. The logistics of, of managing safety, managing quality, and even managing how to get people and equipment to those work locations is, is drastically different. That is also what makes them, you know, a little bit more fun to build too, because you have some unique challenges that way. There are challenges that we don't have that you have on a, uh, like I said, a postage stamp project where, you know, there you got space constraints. You're trying to operate and use really large equipment in a very small area. Uh, We don't have that problem quite as much, but again, we're, you know, kind of got the opposite problem. So how are wind turbines installed? As I mentioned a little bit earlier, the areas that we were typically building these in are, are rural areas with with roads that are um, sometimes dirt, sometimes paved, but they're not overly wide. They're not, um, you know, they're not. They're basically just not built for a, an industrial project to come into that area. So before um, even turbines get there, we spend a, a considerable amount of time engineering and planning um, the the routes that the turbines are going to take to get into the project, and then we actually in in most ser- most scenarios have to widen the public road with gravel, and we go into the into the ditches in the surrounding field uh, temporarily to put gravel down to make the 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 uh, swing a little bit more palatable for the uh, the component trucks coming in. Um, we also have to build infrastructure to even to get to the turbine location. So we, we build a pretty large series of access roads, we call them, to get out to the, those locations. Those are typically typically gravel, um, and they're stabilized underneath with a cement content to, to stiffen it up a little bit because, it, again, it's a farm field. Um, so we build those roads to get out into it, and then we, we dig an excavation um, to get, get down to the elevation that we're going to uh, place the foundation at, and then, then we we put a foundation in and depending on the, the wind turbine model, usually anywhere from call it 400 yards to 600 yards of concrete per foundation goes into it. So how much pre-work is going on then before these things actually start to arrive on site? How long are you guys there kind of mobilizing? The, the pre-construction and the planning and the engineering sometimes can go on for years, um, even before we're involved as a contractor. Usually then we'll pick up the engineering and that'll go on for six to eight months before we mobilize the site. And then once we've mobilized the process of building a laid-on yard, building the, um, we call them temporary turning radiuses or temporary public intersection improvements, um, the building access roads, a lot of times that's a, a two to three month process before uh, turbines components actually start arriving to site. The overall span of construction of a wind farm is, is actually relatively short um, compared to what we're doing and, and how much work we're putting in place. Uh, but it, it does take 
you know, several months ahead of that to plan it to, to achieve that. Um, so once, once the foundation is in, and I mentioned it's, you know, four to 600 yards, depending on the wind turbine model, um, usually 30 to 35 tons of, of rebar in it, uh, we'll backfill that. And then we start getting to the point where we can take turbine deliveries in. Um, we also have to build a crane pad because they're relatively large cranes that we're using out in the middle of a field. So we, we, um, we beef up the soil a little bit to handle the loads that the crane will impose on it. And then we start taking the, the turbines to the site. The most common tower we've built is a, a GE model. Usually that comes in eight major components, three tower sections, three blades, the hub, and the nacelle, which the nacelle is kind of the box at top, uh, at top that the blades hook onto and houses a generator. And that's you know, kind of where everything happens up there. So um, you think eight, eight major components and, and at the Meridian project with 77 towers we calculated that to be you know, a little over 600 major components that were coming to the site you know oversized loads and police escorts in certain states and that, that kind of sort of thing so it's a it's a pretty large logistical undertaking to get those to site so there's obviously a lot of coordination involved in these projects and i think one of the big stakeholders so to speak is the landowners um what's it like working with them are there incentives that they get for having these turbines built on their land yeah, the the landowner um, management and, and coordination is is actually one of the more interesting parts of a wind turbine. It's actually one of the the reasons it varies quite a bit from a traditional project. Also, I, I hadn't mentioned this earlier, but um, instead of having one customer, or one person that owns the property you're working on, sometimes you have hundreds of different people that uh, you're working on their property. Um, so it is a very important part of the project. Um, generally, they do get incentives. It depends on the utility, the owner of the of the project. Those can vary uh, to some degree, but. The folks that have turbines on their property are, are getting um, basically a lease payment. So the utilities don't own the land. They, they lease out the, the ability to put these turbines on it. Um, there's also a, an underground infrastructure that goes in place for the electrical collection of the power. Um, generally, there's some payments that go along with, with having that infrastructure on your, on your project. And then some of the uh, owners and some utilities in the state will actually provide incentives to people that are just in the area too, because it does, you know, impact the whole community, not just the people that have the the turbines and the infrastructure on their site or on their property. Um, so again, depending on the utility, it, it can vary, but the, the, most most times there is incentives. Have you had anybody in the community or a landowner be surprised at how well the job is done, and also be surprised at? the care that you take of the property? Are they surprised that, you know, maybe they had an opinion at first that they didn't want the project there and then they changed their mind afterward? Yeah, we, we have. Um, we've had both that, you know, folks are, are impressed and surprised with the, the speed in which we build these. You know, it is a, a little bit of a misconception on the size of these. It, it implies that they'll take a long time to build, but they they generally don't. I mean, a whole park can go up in a in a season. So, folks are generally surprised about that. And and through the the landowner management and getting out in the community, talking with people, a lot of times we're able to to manage that expectation and and let them know like, hey, we're gonna, yeah, quite frankly, we're gonna mess some stuff up. That's what we have to do to build it. But we always come back. We'll fix it. We'll fix drain tile. We fix some of the grading that's in the area. We replace topsoil so that farmers can can grow healthy crops in the future. So it, it sometimes can be tumultuous throughout the project, but generally by the end, when they see the, the end result, there's there's a lot of positive feedback on what we've done. Anything else, Curtis, that you want to say about you know the the wind work that you've done over the last three years or, or anything else? I'll end with this. In this, this happens not just on wind farms, but the the end of a wind project assembly is it's a feeling unlike I've had in my career. You know, you put your your heart and soul, and you spend time away from your family, and you 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 kind of get this coalition of folks out on your your project, and you're kind of 
in the battle together, right? And you're dealing with all the challenges. But when the the last turbine, the last major component goes up, it's it's just a feeling unlike any other that we've built something and it's something that me and my family are going to see for at least 30 years, if not more. Um, and it's something that you don't get everywhere. Um, another feeling comes as you really wrap up the project, but the, the really good feeling comes right at the end of, of the turbine assembly. And that's, it's, like I said, nothing, nothing I've had in my career before. One of Barton Mallow's longtime clients and leaders in creating a more sustainable future is none other than DTE Energy. In fact, we recently put the finishing touches on DTE's Meridian Wind Park in Mid Michigan, the largest wind project Barton Mallow has performed since entering the market in 2008. For more insight on wind farms and renewable energy, we're excited to welcome DTE's Manager of Renewable Energy Development, Matt Wagner, to the podcast. Matt, you have, I was doing some research on uh and LinkedIn on here. So that must be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so you studied environmental engineering. So you've always been environmentally conscious, right? And yeah, so yeah. Uh, what, I guess, what, what drove you to study that? And like, what led you down this path to where you are now with, with DTE? Well, you know, what drove me to study, I've always been interested in the outdoors, loved wildlife, but also was pretty good at math and science. And I tried to figure out something that could sort of blend all those things the company um, has always been very strong on environmental stewardship, DTE, but they realize at a certain point, we got to increase our focus on the environmental aspects. Can you just talk a little bit about developing, you know, that uh, section of land that's been approved or, uh, you know, you guys have vetted everything and you're like, okay, this is a go here. We're going to set up a wind farm in this 50 mile radius. So we look at wind resource, we look at land availability, Farmland is fantastic for doing wind because it's already pretty much cleared. Um, and so, you know, we looked at that area. Um, we looked at several townships that we thought would be conducive to that. Um, and then the first thing we really do is we have land age agents go out and start talking to the landowners. And that's a combination of garnering their interest and educating them at the same time about what we're about. The relationship management piece of doing wind development is huge. And if you don't do that well, you may never have a project. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our, our site manager, Jason Hannah, did a tremendous job of just keeping everybody connected and listening to them. And I, I often tell my land agents and our site managers, um, I want to hear bad news, you know, and they sometimes need to be an advocate for the community if, if, if the community doesn't feel like we're listening, because we got to find, you know, we got to find that line where everybody, well, we just got to get everybody on the same page. That's how the project goes best. What types of things do you communicate to these communities that help them decide whether or not they want them? Like you mentioned education is so big. Like what, what, what types of things do you, do you bring about as in terms of benefits? The things that I, that, we try to reinforce is local tax revenue is really a big deal. Um, you know, we don't know what the revenue coming from Meridian will be, but you know, I can tell you without any doubt that it's going to be in the millions of dollars over the next 20 to 30 years or whatever the life of the project is. Um, we know from other communities, Gratiot County's got a lot of projects there. They've seen since 2012, revenues from taxes of about $60 million. Wow. And then in Huron County over at least one three-year period, Huron County does not report it as openly as some do, but we've seen 
uh, revenues from taxes of nearly 30 million. And, you know, two things. One is particularly during COVID communities are hurting, you know, financially, and they, they're really looking forward to this revenue. And I can tell you the Meridian communities are very excited and looking forward to, you know, the tax revenues and other things. And, you know, these dollars go to emergency services, they go to police, schools, other vital functions in the community, libraries. Um, and each community kind of divides it up a little differently. State gets some too in the counties, but it's a big deal at a time when folks are wondering where, you know, the next funding's coming from. But, you know, the other aspects that we tell people about when we come into your community is, you know, Meridian's a great example of this. You guys are a missioning company. You guys went out and hired for Meridian almost exclusively local folks who work at, you know, the laydown yard and on the project. Um, and I think the total on a daily basis is roughly 200 employees a day that are working. And, you know, that number sounds really good. They're all coming from Saginaw or most of them are coming from Saginaw and Midland counties. Mm -hmm. A lot of people might say, well, you know, so, but those people are eating lunch. A lot of those people are, you know, spending money at a hotel for months and months on end as we, and so that's kind of the unspoken boost to the local economy is just, you know, the workers everyday needs. Um, and then more broadly, DT's investment has created or sustained a total of about 4,000 renewable energy jobs, um, mostly in Michigan, which is another, I mean, 4,000 awesome. jobs is 4,000 jobs. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I wanted to talk about just more generally about community engagement for Meridian, but also just in general, you know, when we start a project, and I think you guys know this, I we talked about it with our first project. We want to become part of the community. We don't want to be there just because we need something and then disappear. And a lot of our land agents and site managers will say, you know, they kind of joke about hashtag DTE, good neighbor. And we want to live that hashtag. We want that to be real to the community, you know, and so we invest a lot of hours um, as volunteers we contribute time and funds to many events, you know, future farmers of America. That's kind of a no brainer when we're there. First robotics is a big deal. Girl Scouts. We've also engaged community partners like Saginaw Futures and Midland Community Foundation. We're involved in the County Fair livestock auctions. And when our leaders found out we were doing this years ago, they were like, say what you're doing, you're buying pigs and right. cows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what? We're doing that because it's a junior livestock auction and the it's kids who raise these animals. And so we get to support the kids and their families by bidding on animals. And it's, I've done a number of them myself. I've overbid and bid against myself and outbid <laughs> myself when I didn't know what I was doing. But the kids really recognize, they come up to you afterward and say, hey, DT, hey, Matt, thank you for, you know, bidding on this animal. Even if you don't buy it, you're driving the price up and you're allowing. And a lot of these kids are using this for next year's fair for their animals or to go to college or to go to some technical school. So it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, we were able to get notebook computers for, uh, I think, the elementary school in Merrill, um, which is part of the um, Meridian community. And then one of the things that really got me all choked up was Merrill High School was having a homecoming right in the middle of the pandemic. And they reached out to Jason and said, can you help us? Um, we funded their homecoming. You know, we were up there for the whole event and having, um, you know, the queen and her court come up to us and say, thank you for doing this. There was no way we were ever going to do this. Um, 
if it wasn't for you guys, that's just, you know, that, that was real life. How yeah. awesome is that, that they're, they get, you guys form such a strong relationship where they're that comfortable to come to you, you yes. know, knowing that they need that. Right. And then you and guys we are want to that. deliver. That's yeah. the kind of relationship we want to have in each of these communities. And like I, I think I mentioned, I mean, Meridian kind of set a new bar for us on how we want to do this stuff. And, you know, frankly, Barton Mal, Mal helps us. Everybody gets this. If we don't do this well, the project's going to be harder to sustain. So what is the impact of sustainability on our future? We've set up goals that are similar to others. Um, but, you know, just in terms of metrics, we've got 18 wind parks online. Meridian will be our 19th. You know, Meridian will be the largest single wind park in terms of megawatt capacity. It's going to be 77 fairly good-sized turbines, but 220 um, megawatts. And I know a megawatt doesn't mean a lot to people who might be listening to this, but, you know, that could be um, a megawatt. You could say, well, you know, a megawatt powers anywhere from 300 to 400 homes. Um, and when Meridian goes online, we will be at almost 2,000 megawatts of wind energy. Got 33 solar parks working. Most of them are small. Have a lot of plans for a lot more solar. Um, you know, and right now we have enough clean energy in our portfolio to support um, power to about 700,000 homes. So, you know, almost three quarters of a million homes are powered by renewable energy. Since 2009, we've invested um, or driven investment of about $3 billion related to renewables. And by 2025, we want to invest an additional, almost twice that, about $2.8 billion. And by the time we go through that process in sort of the mid-2025s, we hope to be powering almost one and a half million homes, about 1.3 million homes by renewables. So it's pretty exciting. A lot of work, a lot more to do. Before we take off, we should mention that Barton Mallow is part of the DTE Energy My Green Power Initiative program dedicated to increasing the amount of renewable energy to power homes and businesses. Through the program, 100% of the electricity use at Barton Mallow's 110,000 square foot headquarters in Southfield, Michigan, is attributed to Michigan-made solar and wind energy. And that's all for this episode of Said Differently. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. We'll be back soon with more stories from the job site. Thanks for listening. For more information on DTE Energy's renewable energy initiatives, visit newlook.dteenergy.com. That's N-E-W-L-O-O-K.dteenergy.com. To learn more about Barton Mallow's energy portfolio, visit bartonmallow.com. This is Said Differently, a Barton Mallow podcast.